1: Church. Uh, My name is Dustin Saunders. I'm the associate pastor here, if you don't know that. Um, And we're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, We finished up 1 Peter 3 last week, um, and we're going to be doing something a little different for the next three weeks. Uh, Rob is really excited to dive into 1 Peter 4 when he gets back, um, which will be in a couple weeks. And so, what we're going to do for the next three weeks, including this Sunday, is we're going to be doing a kind of what we'll call like a mini series. Uh, in the Psalms. So, we're going to look at three different Psalms over the next three Sundays um, and see what God has for us there. Um, I'm preaching this morning. Randy will be preaching next week. And then, Lord willing, um, I will be giving the sermon again on the 18th. Uh, and so, we're very excited to kind of take the short journey into the Psalms with you. Now, you might say, well, why the Psalms? Or, or what even is a Psalm? Well, just simply, a Psalm... Is another word for a song, a hymn, or a poem. So the book of Psalms um, is an Old Testament book of songs and hymns, poems, written by various authors, um, compiled by the Hebrew people, and inspired by the Holy Spirit. A couple of quick, interesting facts about the Psalms Um, it is generally the most widely known book and widely read book of the Old Testament. Um, And interestingly enough, out of all the books in the Old Testament, Jesus himself quotes from the Psalms more than any other book. Out of all the books in the Old Testament, the New Testament writers quote from the Psalms more than any other book. Um, And the most quoted passage, the most quoted Old Testament passage quoted by the New Testament writers is found in the Psalms, Psalms 110 verse 1. So it must be important. Well, it's important for those reasons, but not only does the book of Psalms teach us about God, who he is and what he's like, but the book of Psalms also teaches us, gives us the language of how to express the wide range of emotions that we experience in our lives. The Psalms teach us how to shout for joy, how to lament, how to rejoice, how to praise, how to cry. They teach us how to be angry and how to mourn, how to confess and how to worship. One third of the entire book of Psalms are songs of lament, of sorrow, of grief, or even of complaint. The Psalms give us the language to express what we experience in our walk with God. Combine that with the fact that uh, we just simply don't preach on them often, Uh, that is why we chose to do this short kind of mini-series in the book of Psalms. Um, And so that's basically what we're going to be doing for the next three weeks. We're very excited. So with that, would you pray with me? Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, our Heavenly Father, whose word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, this morning open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word, and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood, that in nothing we may be displeasing unto your Majesty. We pray this to you, our Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, Amen. Because I told you so. Has anyone ever answered with this when you've asked them about something? Or maybe you've answered with that when your children or your employees or someone else has asked you something, because I told you so. I'm sure many of us have, many of us have heard it, many of us have said it. But what is it? What is is the because I told you so answer? It's an assertion of blind authority. It's basically a way of saying, do what I say, I'm not going to tell you why, just shut up and do it because I'm saying it, right? Because I'm your mother, because I'm your father, because I'm your boss, or, or whatever it may be. It's saying, because of my status, I demand blind obedience from you. You should obey me without any motive, I should not have to explain why I tell you to do something, just do it. Now, in many societies around the world, this is actually very normal um, and accepted and expected. In fact, in different cultures, there's nothing wrong with that, and it's just thought to be the way things are. It's normal. If someone who is your elder tells you to do something, you do it. You don't ask questions. You don't ask for clarification. That's disrespectful. You just do it. Don't ask why. Don't ask how. Just do it. A great example of this takes place at my school over at Talbot uh, School of Theology. There's a large number of Korean students. It's kind of the West Coast seminary. So a lot of students come from Korea to um, study to be pastors and then go back to Korea. And uh, these guys are all amazing. And one of the things that the, the professors have noticed, and I've noticed myself in class, although I didn't realize it until one of the professors was telling me, is that the Korean students, because of the Korean culture, are very uncomfortable asking questions in class. In their culture, it's disrespectful to raise your hand and ask the professor a question. Because in their culture, it, it, it gives this idea that, that, that he's not being clear enough if you have to ask a question, or, or you're questioning what he's saying. That's, that's thought of as disrespectful. So every time the Korean students raise their hand, not every time, but for the most part, especially the ones that are from Korea, they raise their hand and they ask a question, they preface every question with an apology. I'm sorry, da-da-da-da-da, and whatever the question may be. And I always, I noticed that they would do that, but I never really thought about why, and again, until one of my professors said he was talking with one of them, and they explained why that is. so it's part of their culture. But the question is, is this how God operates? Does God operate by, because I told you so? Well, I don't think He does even though, honestly, he certainly has the right to do so, if anyone does, right? But what we're going to see today is that God is going to command us two things, command us to do two things, and in fact, both of these commands have to do with the way that we worship, the way that we serve, the way that we come before God. And in our passage today, God is going to command us to call us to come to him, to worship him, to sing to him with the disposition of gladness and gratefulness, gladness, and gratefulness joy and thanksgiving to put it in different words God is going to call us to both of these this morning but here's the thing God isn't going to command us to do this to be this gladness and gratefulness and say because I said so be glad because I said so because I'm God and I told you to be glad be grateful no again though he would have every right to do so that's not what he's going to do in our passage this morning this morning God is going to give us these two commands Gladness and gratefulness. And then he is going to reveal a different motive for each. Two commands and two motives. So he's going to say, be glad and here's why. Be grateful and here's why. And that's the simple structure of the psalm that we're looking at this morning. It's very simple. Command and then a motive. A command and then a motive. So to see this, please turn with me uh, to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 100. Um, or as it's more famously known, the Old Hundredth. If you're old school, that's what you call it. Um, So take a look. The first command God is going to give us this morning from Psalm 100 is that we are to come to him with gladness. We are to come into his presence with joy. We are to worship and serve him with an overflowing sense of gladness. That's the command, gladness. So look at verses 1 and 2, and the psalmist is going to say this in a lot of different ways. Verses 1 and 2, the title, a psalm for giving thanks. By the way, this is the only psalm with that title. A psalm for giving thanks. Verse 1 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Joyfulness, gladness, with singing, with shouting. That is how we are to come to God, according to the psalm. This is one of the many reasons why I personally love this psalm and chose it this morning. Now, I want you to remember that all of the psalms are poetry. Okay, So they're all songs, poems, hymns. And so one of the features of Hebrew poetry, um, different language poetry works differently. One of the features of Hebrew poetry, and if you've ever read the psalms, you'll notice this, is that the psalmist often repeats himself, says the same thing, but with different words. And that's what's going on here. The psalmist is saying, be glad in two, three different ways here. One single main driving idea expressed in different ways. Gladness. Come before God with gladness. Now, according to this psalm, what might this look like? Well, first, the psalmist says it might look like verse one. It might look like a joyful noise. Now, here's some different translations of this first line. And I think it helps you to see kind of what's going on here. So our translation says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Another says, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Another says, shout out praises to the Lord, all the earth. And probably my favorite says, jubilate unto the Lord, all ye lands. Jubilate is just an excellent word. The psalmist here is telling the whole earth to lift up joyous noises to God. Glad noises. And the funny thing is, he's not even talking about singing. A lot of times we apply this verse to singing. That's not what the language is telling us. The Hebrew here indicates a kind of loud shout or yell that would be given to a king as he enters his hometown. So try to get that picture in your mind. Think of maybe a movie you've seen or something like that. You know, all the banners are hung on the walls. The trumpets are blasting. The king is riding into the city, victorious in battle. And the people are lifting up a shout of joy a shout of gladness they're raising their voice to the king with gladness with joy okay that's the picture of verse 1 the famous 5th century church theologian augustine commenting on this verse put it this way now listen to these words he says let us understand this joyful noise not just with our mouths but with our hearts it's a shout without words a yell a cry And then listen to what he says. He says, It's when joy is so excessive that words fail. Joy so excessive that words fail. That perfectly captures the idea of this first verse. A joyful noise. That is exactly what God is commanding, calling us, inviting us here to, here in this psalm. Excessive joy that expresses itself in a shout, in a yell. It's, it's the idea that sometimes God's glory and goodness overwhelm you so much that all you can do is yell. Woo! Okay, like that. Now, this is, an, this is worship that goes to 11, okay? And I hope you get that reference. It's not. Talk to me later. This is a sense of gladness which we are often hesitant to express in our churches. But why? That's my question, See, I've seen this in action many times over my years in many different places, but one that stuck out in my mind is uh, happened last year. Me and Rob, um, thanks to the church, were able to travel back to Kentucky uh, for a conference, a, a pastor's conference, um, in 2016 called T4G. Now, this is a, a very big Christian conference, and it took place in an arena, and there was about 10,000 people there. Uh, Christian pastors, other believers, 10,000 believers gathered together in this arena. The best part was there was no like worship band or anything like that. There was one guy leading worship on piano, okay? And as he's leading, we're mostly singing old hymns, uh, things like that. But you could, the, the joy, the gladness in the room was palpable. I mean, you could, you could feel it, you could taste it, you could hear it. And on certain songs, you could hear. You would sing a certain line. Someone would sing a certain line. Sometimes it was someone in the, the crowd. Sometimes it was the worship leader himself. And it would hit a person hard, and they would just cry out, yeah! Like, yes, thank you, Lord, for some truth. So, like, one that sticks out to me is the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And there's, the chorus just says, he will hold me fast. And you could hear people that truth sink into their heart and just cry out, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord, that you will hold me fast. It's a shout of gladness. It's a response to the truth of God. And yes, this is a command for Baptists. It's not just for Pentecostals, okay? (laughs) We're not exempt from this part of the scriptures as much as we like to think we are. Gladness, gladness must characterize our approach to God. It must characterize our worship. And the psalm continues in verse 2, emphasizing this exact same thing. So serve the Lord with gladness, verse 2 says. Come into his presence with singing. We've already done that this morning. We're to serve him with gladness. We're to come before him with singing. I, I just love that. I think that's awesome. Take a second to think about that. God says, you want to know how to come before me? Sing. I love to hear you sing and that's just beautiful there's no other religion like that think and think of this though think of this how many times do we ruin this how many somber tightly wound never show a smile kind of christians have you met that's not the biblical picture now there are seasons and there are times to be somber there are seasons and times of grief of course absolutely but as a just general outlook on the christian life i don't think so what the psalm is telling us our God wants us to be glad he wants us to sing to shout to him our God does not desire us to serve to sing out of duty or obligation our God says serve with gladness with singing with shouting for joy our God loves our music see this is the true God and Christian this morning this this is your God your king So God says, come to me with a glad heart, with gladness. Okay, great, but but here's the question. What do I have to be glad about? Joy. Don't you see what's going on in the world? Don't you know what's going on in my life? The struggles I'm facing? How can I be glad? How can I come to God with joy in my heart? What motivation do I have for this gladness? Well, the psalmist answers these questions. In verse 3, he's given us the command of gladness. In verse 3, he gives us the motivation for gladness. For all of the gladness and the joy. And the motivation is simply this. God has chosen you. You are his. And that's it. God has chosen you. And you are his. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people. And the sheep of his pasture. You see that? That's the motivation. Know that God, so your God, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. He is the creator of all the universe. And he chose you. He made us. That's that's what the author is getting at with. He made us. He made us his people. He chose us. We are his, and he watches over us like a shepherd. Let that sink in. Now this promise is, isn't for everyone it's for his people and so if you're sitting here today and you're truly trusting in christ this promise is for you this motivation is for you understanding this truth fuels the joy and gladness in your life god chose you as his he chose us as his people and he watches over us and cares for us like his sheep brothers and sisters, the appropriate response to that is, really? He chose us? Us? Here? And the answer is yes. And the proper response is gladness. It's joy. It's, if you are God, what else matters in comparison? After all things are considered, what matters? He is God, the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, the great I am. And yet he stoops down to us and says, These people are mine, and I will take care of them. They are my treasured possession. Even the greatest pain, the most terrible things you can experience, God says, I will work those for an eternal weight of glory for you. It's simply unbelievable. But this morning I say, believe it, because it's true. Understand it. Spend the rest of your life taking this truth in and letting it fuel the gladness and joy in your heart. But, but to get a more full understanding of all the benefits that come with being one of God's people, we need to see some other places in Scripture in which God takes, talks about his attitude towards his people. So we're going to do that. And again, these words are not for those who reject God. These words are only true for all those who place their faith truly in Christ, and Christ alone. So as I read these words, let these words wash over you this morning. Listen to what God says about his people. Let them wash over you and reverberate in your heart and soul. Hear the words of God this morning. In Isaiah 43, he says this, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Skipping down a verse, he says this, Fear not. Why? For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, For my glory, whom I formed and made. That is what God says about his people. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, he says this. For you, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Another set aside for the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth treasured possession. Now, lest we think that this is simply only about Israel, the same language is applied in the New Testament to the church. We saw this in 1 Peter 2:9. Listen to these words again. 1 Peter 2:9, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." that you may proclaim, shout out the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And lastly, 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So we are his, his chosen people. We are his children. Brothers and sisters, he didn't need us. He still doesn't need us, but he chose us. He wanted us. He made us. That is a glorious, gladness-inducing truth. If you are going to be glad and joyful in Christ, you need to know this. You have to understand this. This is the motivation that will drive you to shout. This is the motivation that will drive you to gladness and joy the more you understand it. But not only did he make, did he choose us We are the sheep of his pasture. He watches over us. He feeds us. He protects us. Understand that image. Now again, that is Old Testament language, right? But the Gospel of John teaches us that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. He knows us each by name and has called us to himself. Not only that, but Jesus, our great shepherd, laid down his life, dying in our place so that we might live with him forever. Christian, you serve a God, a great shepherd who pours out his blood for you, for his own sheep. This is the type of God we serve. He chose us. He died for us. He purchased us with his own blood. He is gathering his people. And if you can't rejoice, at that, that, if that doesn't spring gladness in your heart, something's wrong. There's, there's a disconnect in your heart somewhere. Um, and and I would encourage you to seek that out. Seek what's going on in your heart that brings you you no joy. Grab one of us. Let's pray. But do you see how this drives your gladness, how it feels your joy? If you are lacking gladness and joy this morning, would you meditate on these things? When we drift away from these truths, as we tend to do, we drift away from gladness and joy. We We begin trying to find gladness and joy in other things, but delve into these truths Meditate on them. Pray that God would drive them deep down into your heart and your gladness and joy will overflow to the point of shouting. That is what fuels gladness. Not only in our worship, but in our lives. And so that's the psalmist's first command and motivation. Come to God with a glad heart because he chose us and we are his. Come to God with a glad heart because he chose us and we are his. We shout because we are his. And so this brings us to the second command. In verse 4, we're going to see that God commands us to come to him with grateful hearts, with thanksgiving, with hearts full of gratitude and thankfulness. Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And so now God commands that we come to him with thanksgiving, praising him with grateful hearts. We are to come to God continually giving thanks to him. We give thanks with our words, with our prayers, our songs. We give thanks with our service, and we give thanks in our hearts. The person who comes to to God in this way is a person who comes to God realizing that everything they have is from God. Every good thing that has ever entered their life has come to them from the hand of God himself, and so they give thanks. This is why we say grace before meals, right? It's an acknowledgement that the very food that is on our table comes from Him. He is our provider. But that is simply, sorry, but is that simply all we have to give thanks for? Well, the scriptures tell us, no. God commands us to come to Him with grateful hearts. But in verse 5, He gives us the motive for our gratefulness, the motive for our thanksgiving, the motive for our gratitude. And it's this. Simple. He is good. He is good. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is good. God is good. And when you think about it, when you dwell on what that means, it's one of the most profound, life defining, life changing sentences that there could be. Think about how much is packed into those words. For the Lord is good. Why should we come to God with grateful hearts? Because the Lord is good. Because he is good. He is a good God. All goodness flows from him. He is the source of everything that is good, of all good things, of all pleasure of all delight, of all joy. It all comes from him. Now, the reason this simple sentence is so profound is because the idea of God's goodness contains everything amazing about him. Goodness here, the idea of goodness in this verse contains all of these ideas. God's love, his forgiveness, his fidelity, his completeness. In other words, he is without defect, Nothing could be better about him. Every attribute that he has is supremely and infinitely excellent. He couldn't be more good. His benevolence, his gentleness, his meekness, his humility, his peace, and his justice, and even his wrath are are all combined in this sentence. He is good. Do you see how that motivates our Thanksgiving God is good and the psalmist continues by explaining and clarifying with a little more detail what that means and it means this he says it's st- his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations God's covenantal love his faithful love his powerful love his active love endures forever on his people he never quits. He never runs out of love. He never stops loving. And you may be familiar with this, you may not. There is one special Hebrew word that is translated as steadfast love. And it's one of those words that, that it's hard to, to translate into English because it's such a, a amazing and big concept. And so many translations will tra- translate this word differently. The Hebrew word, it's fun to say, is chesed. Okay, I'm just going to say Hesed from now on, but technically it's chesed. Uh, so every transla- almost every translation translates it differently. Say, so R says steadfast love, some translations will say mercy, some will say loving kindness, some will say goodness, some will say faithfulness, but really the idea behind Hesed is all of these things. The idea of Hesed is a covenantal love. The well-known theologian John Frame defines said this way, and I think this is very helpful. Listen to what he says. He, said, he says, said is God's faithfulness to his covenant promise, his truthfulness to his word, the fact that he will bless his people as he says he will. It's his covenant faithfulness, his truthfulness to his word, he will bless his people as he says he will. God does what he says. It's a said. Now, why is that relevant? Because it means that God always fulfills his promises. He is always truthful and always faithful to his people. His steadfast, covenantal love for his people, for us, endures forever because he's good. The God of all the universe is good. And when we forget that is when we become bitter, spiteful, and angry, ungrateful, complaining, grumbling, but when we understand who God is that he is good and that his love endures we come to him with thanks and gratefulness from the depth of our hearts and think about it this way this psalm was written hundreds of years before Christ hundreds of years and yet the psalmist says look how amazing God is look how faithful he is he has chosen us and he is good But brothers and sisters, if the psalmist has good reason to say these things hundreds of years before Christ, how much more do we have after reason to say these things? How much more of God's goodness and love have we seen in Christ's birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his ascension? We see the pinnacle, the climax of the revelation of God's goodness, of his love, and of his faithfulness. You see the ultimate revelation of God's said in Christ. Do you want to know that God is good? Do you want to see said in action? Look to Christ, who came humbly into this world as a servant, who walked among humanity, healing and giving mercy, seeking the lost, seeking sinners, who gave his life as a ransom for many, for his people, who purchased us, with his own blood. Do you want to see the love of God in action? Look to Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that the ones believing in him, whoever believes in him, will not perish, but will have eternal life. Do you want to see steadfast, covenantal, loyal love? Look to Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 6-8. This is his said in action. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. God shows his said for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look to Christ to see the character of God in action. Look to Christ to see the love of God in action. And enter into the presence of God with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart. Think of all the things that we are, his people are promised in the pages of scripture. All of them will come to pass for us. Every single one of them at the exact right time. Because he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. And so in Psalm 100, we've, we have two commands and two motivations. Psalm 100 has shown us this. Come to the Lord with a glad and grateful heart, because we are his and he is good. Come with a glad and grateful heart, because we are his and he is good. Brothers and sisters, I don't know a lot of things, but I do know this. I am his and he is good. And this is enough to cause me to be glad and grateful even when the world is falling apart, even when nothing else makes sense, even when I don't get what I want, even when death and destruction abound, even when I can't feel God's presence. I am his and he is good. And if you know this truth, if you understand this truth, not just in your head, but in your heart, you too will be able to endure all things, whether suffering or sickness or persecution or drudgery or stress or depression, financial problems, confusion, doubt, emotional pain, spiritual pain, or simply discontentedness. In the midst of all these things, if you know this, you are his and he is good. And that, let that truth pro, that be of fuel, a profound gladness and gratefulness in your heart. Let that truth fuel a profound gratefulness and gladness in your heart. God commands us to come to him with joyful and grateful hearts. But not because I tell you so. No, he doesn't say that. But rather because of who I am, he says. He says, Come. Come, come to me with gladness and gratefulness because I am good and you are mine. He is good and you are his. What better motivation could there be for gladness and gratitude this morning? Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with glad and grateful hearts, Lord. And if not glad and grateful hearts, Lord, we come to you desiring glad and grateful hearts. Father, show us yourself this morning. Show us yourself this week. I pray, Lord, that I I rejoice with those who have glad and grateful hearts, Father. And I pray for those who are struggling with that, Lord. Would you reveal yourself to them that you are good and that you have chosen them. And Father, I pray for those here who don't know you. I pray for those who have rejected you, Father. Lord, would you open their hearts to see your goodness, to see their own weakness, to see their own sin, to see their own unworthiness before you, Lord, and to come to you for mercy. And Father, I pray that they would find you to be a perfect Savior. Lord, we give you all the glory this morning, and we sing to you, we come to you in gladness and gratefulness, Father, and we worship you because you are good. You have chosen us as your people And so to you, Father, who are able to keep us from stumbling and are able to present us blameless before the presence of your glory with great joy, to you, our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at faith at orangefilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing your review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangefilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.